Welcome to the Let's Talk About Love, Sex, and Infidelity podcast with your host, Todd Krieger. Todd has over 35 years of experience working with thousands of couples as a licensed therapist in his private practice. Todd shares his insights on this show. It's never too early to divorce-proof your marriage or too late to heal yourselves and have the relationship you truly want. Hi, everybody. This is Todd Krieger, and today I am talking to you about EMDR and attachment wounds. Now, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, and it is an evidence-based, well-researched approach to helping people deal with trauma. And it's an eight-stage model uh, that starts with history taking. And then uh, you, as the clinician, as the, uh, as the EMDR clinician, uh, help the person to find their resources that they have already, both within them and outside of them. I'm not going to get into the detail about all these. I just want to give you a little bit of an overview. The third stage of the eighth stage is about focusing on one of the memories. And when we pick on that one memory, we, uh, we, it's usually the first memory or the worst. This is just following standard EMDR protocol. And from that, we get some information about that memory when you're focusing on that memory. Because here you are in the here and now with me as the clinician, and sitting in your chair or whatever, but at the same time, we're having you focus on this uh, past memory, and we try to get information uh, such as um, how much pain you're in, uh, what are the negative cognitions or the beliefs that you have that come up from that belief, what are the feelings, what are the sensations. And we, we do a whole source of other things there that try to give you some information about what what's going on with that person. And basically, we're trying to see uh, what the effect is of that memory on the person presently. Uh, and step four is when we do what we call bilateral stimulation. It is the processing. Uh, what we have discovered uh, is that when people can stimulate both sides of their brain while focused on the memory, it begins to process. Uh, we, we tend to uh, do that every night with REM sleep, rapid eye movement, uh, we go back and forth with our eyes real fast, uh, and it's a way of repairing uh, and taking care of unfinished business. And it happens below the level of the conscious mind while we're sleeping. And it's very important to have this REM sleep. So we do this bilateral stimulation. We find that we tend to process negative memories when they're not traumatic pretty easily. But when they're traumatic, we have difficulty. So we... Um, end up uh, doing this bilateral stimulation. There's a variety of ways to do that, such as eye movements, which the the research, the, the, the name of the approach is named after, um, or it could be other ways, tapping. It could be with sound as well, left, right, left, right. And so while we do that, the person um, processes the memory. Now, it's not that simple because oftentimes people need a little additional assistance from the clinician. Maybe this memory happened when they were very young and they didn't have the wherewithal to get out of it. And our job is to help them process that memory so that they can um, resolve that memory, process that memory, resolve that memory to some degree. Now, once the, the, the pain level of that memory goes down in step five, 
we install a cognitive, uh, a, a, a positive cognition, which we found usually in step three. And that would be the one that we want to feel in our bodies. Like, I am worthy. I am okay. I am in control. I am innocent. I am forgivable. I am enough on and up. You know, whatever the positive makes sense for that particular memory. And that's what we do in step five. And in step six, we make sure that the all parts of the body kind of align and agree with that uh, positive belief. And if it doesn't, we process some more to get them there. And uh, that's it. Step seven is when we don't finish the memory and the end of the session, we close it down in a, in a way that makes sense. It's healthy for the client. Uh, and when we begin again the following week, the good news is that what they've processed, they have processed. Uh, so, for example, if the pain level goes from a zero to 10 scale, like a nine to a four, when we start there, it's not going to be a nine, most probably. If it is, we deal with it, but most probably that's not the case. And step eight is when we have resolved the whole thing, gone from all those steps, uh, help the person feel that the pain level is close to zero as possible, that uh, they have a high experience of that positive cognition. The next session, we check just to make sure that it's there. So I'm just giving you an idea of what we do with EMDR, because a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of it. And that's a little bit of a kind of a summary of what we do uh, following the standard protocol of EMDR. <clears throat> now, what we're finding is that uh, not all trauma is obvious. It's not always abuse or neglect. It can also be the way a parent tunes into or doesn't tune into the child. So if the child is sad or frustrated or even excited or exhilarated about something, and the parent more often than not is not tuned in, that um, they act like, for example, you have a child who is excited about something and the parent goes, will you just stop it and just eat your dinner? Again, no one's perfect when parents don't have to be perfect. But uh, if that kind of is the, the pattern, the child starts to, I, I'll say it like this, they distrust their own experience. It's not being mirrored. This is what we're talking about young children, uh, but, you know, even older children. But, yeah, you know, their, their experiences aren't mirrored by their mother or father. And they start to discount it themselves unconsciously and... Uh, it leads to the other symptoms. Now, what we find is when parents tuned into a child, let's say, and they're, they're, they're stressed because they want to eat or they need to be held or they need their diaper changed or whatever, and, or it's a five-year-old who uh, had a, uh, was made fun of at school, you now in kindergarten, if the parent is able to tune into that child and reduce their stress, And also, if the child is bored and the parent tunes in more times than that and kind of talks to them, says, hey, honey, you want to do this? Or a little baby smiles at the baby and stimulates them and it energizes them. These children grow up being able to relatively well regulate their own emotions down, like from a higher stress level down, and also from maybe a, a, an emptier state or or a board state to more alive, that they're able to do that more on their own because they were able to internalize the pattern from their parents. 
But when parents don't tune in to regulate their children, their emotions down if they need it or up if they need it, the child learns to, they develop what we call an insecure attachment. And this is an attachment wound. And so there's different kinds of insecure attachments. The two main ones that I'll discuss today is the insecure avoidant and the insecure ambivalent. The insecure ambivalent, I'll start there, is when a person, like the parent, is inconsistent and sometimes is tuned in and sometimes not for maybe a period of time. You know, maybe the situation is an alcoholic father and the mother, when the father is acting out, the mother is doing everything she can just to survive and doesn't really have the attention span to tune into the child. But when the father is away on a hunting trip, fishing trip, whatever, I'm just making this up, the, the, maybe the mom is relatively relaxed and then tunes in. So there's an inconsistency. And what happens with children like this is they tend to constantly need reassurance. They're constantly uh, working overtime to get approval oftentimes. And that's an attachment wound. And it is a trauma of its own. Especially, uh, a, it, it happens over and over. It's called complex trauma when it, when a people kind of live in that atmosphere. So I, I'm really spending a little time with this. I want you to understand this. Now, the avoidance attachment style is one where, more times than not, the child, when they're in pain, is left to their own devices. And they learn that when I'm in pain, no one's there to help me process it. I can't talk about it with other people. Uh, I have to just handle it on my own, suppress it, um, you know, find ways to regulate on my own. And these people, these children grow up oftentimes to have an anxious avoidance attachment style as adults. And these are the people that tend to uh, never really allow others to get too close to them. And they're very private. How are you doing? You just went through a horrendous experience. No, I'm all right. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. You know, that kind of response. That's an attachment wound. So I'm happy to say that I work with, uh, I use EMDR as a wonderful approach to helping people that have attachment wounds. We're able to process traumatic moments. Like I mentioned, um, you know, how we do that with bilateral stimulation. We also can help people using the EMDR process to help people fill in what's been missing. We help them tap in to resources. Sometimes it's not that easy and we have to get creative. If a person comes from a family where they really didn't feel very connected or attuned or safe at all, uh, they felt alone a lot and maybe they have an avoidant attachment style. So we have to help that person learn to heal that little boy or girl that uh, learned to cope with um, this, the, this lack of attunement by, in this av avoidance style, shutting down. In the ambivalent style, constantly not able to self-soothe, always looking for somebody else to soothe them. So with the EMDR process, we help them process the negative memories, but we also install and link positive resources and beliefs. And a skilled EMDR uh, clinician, therapist, 
is able to help that person link those positive beliefs. And it really actually helps them process the unpleasant memories when they have that. Different ways to do that. So what happens when we use EMDR with attachment wounds? Well, there's one thing, I'll throw a word at you. You know, I'm a, I was a professor for so many years at USC, so I have a few terms. And one of them is called an internal working model. The internal working model is basically, uh, it's formed psychologically and even neurobiologically in our brain uh, as a way of adapting to the attachment environment we've been in. So I've, if I've been in an avoidant attachment environment where the, the, the parent didn't tune into my emotions or one where there was inconsistency, my brain mirrors that and the internal working model becomes that. So there's an avoidance. This is another way of saying that the internal working model could be an avoidant, an anxious avoidant internal working model or an anxious ambivalent internal working model or a secure attached internal working model, which is the best news. Uh, there's another one, disorganized internal working model, but I'm not going to go there. But that happens when a person is experiencing severe abuse or neglect from the people that should really love them and nurture them. And here they are doing the opposite. Uh, but I'm not going, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that for this right now. Uh, EMDR helps with that as well. Uh, but it definitely changes the brain and it changes the internal working model so that a person who has one of these insecure attachment styles using the EMDR process and also using the relationship between the therapist and the client. So I, I do want to say that's an important part of it. It's not just doing a bunch of bilateral stimulation. The, the therapeutic relationship is very important in all therapy, including with EMDR. And so when we're doing this process, when the, the clinician is doing a good job of tuning into the client, and helping them through the EMDR process, they literally change the brain. They change the way the neurons are connecting. And so that now the internal working models can become one of, of more of a secure working model. And there has been some demonstrations of that, of course, psychologically, but even neurobiologically using EMDR. So if you can resonate with any of these things I said, and most of us can actually, because you know the truth of the matter is that many of us have not been perfectly attuned to or even adequately attuned to, and we've learned to, um, because of what has been deficient, we have learned to, to uh, just adapt, that it really can be very helpful to practice uh, with a clinician doing this EMDR so that you can heal those parts of you that had to adapt. So when we heal those attachment trauma parts, the parts of us that have been wounded through attachment trauma, whether it's through uh, an anxious attachment, that's anxious, uh, ambivalent attachment or avoidant, that we are now in a position to feel better and to choose better mates that don't copy the significant others of our past and that we can feel more comfortable in our own skin, that we can self-soothe, but if, especially when a person has been avoidant, that they can allow others to be engaged with them, to help them regulate, so that not always just a soloist. So whereas the person who's 
uh, insecurely, ambivalently attached leads to learn to be a little bit more of a soloist. The person who's avoiding attachment needs to be becoming less of a soloist and a little bit more of a duet, a dyad, letting others be there for them. And EMDR really helps with that. So I wanted to share that with you, give you some what I think is great information. And of course, this is something I do with people. So if you are someone or you know someone that can benefit, uh, I'm one person you could turn to for that. Thank you for listening. This is Todd Krieger, Making the World Safe for Love. That's it for today's episode of Let's Talk About Love, Sex, and Infidelity Podcast with your host, Todd Krieger. For free resources and materials, head over to toddkrieger.com. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you.